Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today's featured Actus solution is Actus Pro. Um, just like our popular print Actus Pocket Guide, this new online portal provides all the detail, explanation, and content you've come to trust and expect from our Actus authors, but is updated in real time to keep you at the forefront of the CDI industry. You can easily access all the query coding and documentation resources you love and need every day, anywhere, anytime. Um, check it out at hcmarketplace.com. We are confident it will quickly become your favorite easy reference. All right. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists. And I'm your host for today's program, Lessons in Resilience with Nicole Fox. Um, so I guess just to start, for those that attended our 2021 Actus Conference last month in Dallas, today's guest probably needs no introduction. She did um, an amazing keynote kickoff for us on... Um, Gosh, was that that was day one of the program, I believe, Nicole, if I'm correct. It's it's been so day long. One. It's been a month. Day one. We we had you right on the big stage and you did a nice job delivering. We're gonna summarize that a little bit and talk about some some lessons that apply to CDI as well. But I do want to introduce uh, Nicole for those listeners that are probably seeing her for the first time. Uh, Dr. Fox is a trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist at Cooper University Hospital in Camden, New Jersey. She wears many, many hats there, so I'm going to summarize a few of them. She is the Medical Director of the Pediatric Trauma Center, Medical Director of Clinical Documentation Integrity, of course, and also the Associate Chief Medical Officer. Amazing. Um, she graduated from Franklin and Marshall College, received her medical degree from Rutgers New Jersey Medical School, along with a Master's in Public Health and Health Administration from the Rutgers School of Public Health. Somehow with all that, she's managing to do a lot of other things. She's actively involved in the national trauma organizations, uh, including Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, or EAST, the Pediatric Trauma Society, PTS, and the American Association for the Surgery of Trauma, or AAST. And she began a recently began a three-year term as secretary for EAST, which is the second largest trauma organization in the United States. So welcome, Nicole. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm super pleased to have you on. All right, we're going to start, as we always do, with a poll question related to today's topic. So let me go ahead and pull that up. Today we are asking you, what has been the greatest challenge you've faced in the last 12 to 20 months? Um, using that as a sort of shorthand for the, the pandemic and all of the craziness we've seen in the world, but certainly anything in the last year as well, uh, last 12 calendar months. And your options are, has it been the COVID-19 pandemic? Perhaps increased CDI work demands, staff turnover, starting to hear about the great resignation and, and a lot of folks deciding to pursue alternative work or no work at all. Uh, personal issues, family, health, other, um, et cetera, or other. And again, I'm, I'm going to monitor your other responses. So if you have any feedback, 
as well during the show, please send that to me in the, in the, uh, the question chat, and I will try to take a look at that and monitor those responses. And I'll work a few in when we get to the poll question. Uh, but again, what has been the greatest challenge you've faced in the last 12 to 20 months? Again, COVID-19 is an option, increased CDI work demands, staff turnover, personal issues or other. Imagine some other responses might be all the above. Um, but it looks like we've got about 75% of our audience that have voted. So I'm going to go ahead, close this out, and we will, as we always do, come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right, again, thank you for coming on the show with us today, Nicole. Really excited about today's topic. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll see what the poll results will bear out, but this has been a very difficult 20 plus months to say the least. So what are some of the challenges that, that starting, let's start with your organization that Cooper Health has faced during the pandemic, both, you know, clinically with the COVID spike, as well as, as, well as uh, CDI related issues that you want to summarize for us today? Sure. Um, thanks again, Brian, for having me. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say it goes without saying that we're located in New Jersey, for those of you who don't know Cooper. And so New Jersey was a very hard hit state with the pandemic. And I think clinically the issues we faced were probably similar to what most of you saw, which was, um, you know, twofold. One was an initial sort of pause in things where hospital volumes dropped a little bit and we had to pause elective surgeries uh, in preparation for the pandemic. Uh, but then as things ramped up, we had to try to manage getting back to our clinical work with also still, and it persists, an incredible increase in volume and managing patients that uh, we weren't used to managing and trying to balance all that, having COVID patients in a hospital with non-COVID patients and trying to run business as usual while managing the pandemic. And that has been clinically very challenging. We've been asking our providers to do things that they don't normally do, to take care of patients that they don't normally take care of, to stretch themselves very thin. Um, and we've been asking them that now for 20 months. And so uh, that's been very difficult uh, because everything is continuing. And our hospital census for the past year at least has been in an all time high. Um, so we're sort of getting hit in, in two ways by the pandemic and just by a, a, an incredible increase in volume. Mm. And for the CDI team, I think in the beginning, you know, the challenges were that we didn't know what would happen with CDI. Uh, we were questioned as to whether CDI was necessary if hospital volume was down and we weren't doing elective surgeries and should we repurpose the team. Um, but then fairly quickly things picked back up and, you know, really now what CDI struggles with is keeping up with, with the volume and with the work and with helping the physicians uh, with everything that they need. Uh, from a documentation standpoint. So it's a good problem to have to be busy, but I think it's been a little tough on everybody and people are tired. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, you, I recall for a, a couple months there, in the early days of the pandemic, probably April, May, 2020, there, there were people wondering if CDI was gonna be, you know, like you said, repurposed, potential to go back to the, we had, we did have some folks going back to the front lines, you know, those that maybe you have nursing backgrounds or whatever, or even those that weren't, were being asked to administer PPE and other things. And the question was, will it come back? And, and it has, but it has been certainly been a challenge um, to say the least here. Absolutely. 
you know, and and I know from a personal perspective, Nicole, it was a very difficult last few years for you as well. You you shared this very openly and, and admirably and honestly um, with our conference attendees in Dallas with a powerful story. So, you know, I'm hoping maybe you could share some of the struggles that you've dealt with on a personal perspective that you feel comfortable sharing with our audience today, of course, uh, which I, th I think humanizes you as, as, as well as, um, you know, people sometimes forget, I think, that we're all human beings and we've, we've got some real struggles with work. But personally, we also have them and sometimes they can bleed over. So whatever you'd like to share here, I think would be would be helpful for our audience. Sure. You know, I think the um, that talk was very cathartic for me in a way because I think and it's interesting when you say it humanized me because I do think that um, in my professional life as a trauma surgeon, I think people regard you in a, in a, a certain way, which is a good thing. Um, and, and I've struggled. I think the struggle that I faced in my career is balancing a very difficult job, not just the clinical aspect of it, but w the content of what I deal with on a daily basis. I think trauma surgery out of any of the, of the subspecialties in medicine is, is very death heavy. Uh, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of joy in it too, of course, and, and they're saving lives, but there's also um, see a lot of tragedy and stuff like that. I think early in my career, what I didn't anticipate was that while dealing with that uh, and working in that arena, um, regular life was going to go on as well. And I wasn't prepared for some of the struggles that I that I faced that I didn't expect to face. You know, one that I talked about in the keynote was my divorce, which was very unexpected and very upsetting. Um, you know, I went from being a married uh, trauma surgeon. I thought I really had life in the palm of my hand to a single mother of four children. Um, you know, in the talk, I, I spoke about my oldest daughter, and then I also have triplets that are now seven. And that was a really devastating time for me. I had gone through fertility struggles and really worked very hard to build my family. And then it was like somebody just kind of grabbed the rug that was underneath me and pulled it out. And I had to, I had to sort of work to rebuild my life in a way um, and, and kind of figure out how to manage all these balls that I was juggling and not let it spill over into work. And, and one thing I had to keep very clear in my own mind was that at, in this job, I have to be 100% for my patients, for their families, for my colleagues. I cannot come to work and be compromised in any way, whether it's emotionally, physically. And so I had to really kind of ask myself that question almost every day for the first two years, I would say, is am I, am I able to go to work today and do what I need to do? Um, and, and I learned a lot of lessons through that. And I, I also learned a lot about the support system that I had in place. And I learned to ask for help. Um, and I learned to be vulnerable. So speaking about that for the first time publicly was also really helpful because I could see that your audience related uh, to a lot of things I was saying. And I had many people come up to me afterwards and thank me. And I think it helps if all of us just sort of, of lay that out there. I think we fall into the, um, we fall, kind of default to this mindset where we think everybody else has something we don't or everybody has it all. And the reality is nobody has it all. And, and there's a lot of things that go on in people's lives that we're not aware of. And, and I think we just have to remember that, as you said, Brian, we're all human beings and we're all very vulnerable and we have personal struggles. And so it, it has really helped me kind of develop more compassion 
for other people than I had before um, and, and really learn to relate to people on a different level, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Nicole. It, 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 it was just um, a story, I think, although I'm not a pediatric surgeon or a mother. <laughs> but I can relate to a lot of the things that you've you've talked about, and and it it was remarkable to see that you were able to talk about them so forthrightly, and and honestly, and it it did resonate with our audience, and and that is giving a piece of yourself that I know I appreciated more than you know. It was it, was, it made that special, and because you have. You know, you, you you do have the the clinical and the CDI piece. That I think it was extra meaningful for for our for our audience. Um, so thank you again. You know, one one of the things that I appreciate that you did at at the conference was you sort of tied it back to you know lessons that our members in the audience can kind of take back to them in their day to day work. And it's not always about that, but you know, I think just hearing your story was meaningful, but you did talk about having, developing maybe more compassion here. And, and, and I think about this and I think about CDI professionals and, and how they interact with physicians. Um, you know, we, we, we do, and sometimes in a good natured way, but maybe unfairly, we, we do sometimes jab physicians, you know, not to them because we, that's not how we do it. We, we, we talk about it like, oh, this guy never responds. Surgeons stink at documentation. They're just poor at it. And I think we probably forget that they work in incredibly busy, demanding high-stress environments where, like you said, they're, they're actually seeing, you know, if you're a trauma surgeon, you're seeing deaths. You're seeing things that most of us can't Aren't, aren't comprehending, you know, in that type of environment. So, and then we're asking them to answer queries in a timely manner in a 24 to 48 hour window, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, how can we use sort of the lessons you've talked about here that you've learned to, to cultivate more empathy, but, but also build a stronger and more productive relationship with our physicians, because obviously we need them or, or this whole effort of CDI is going to fail. Sure. I, you know, I think one of the strategies that I kind of picked up in my administrative role, and I think it, it certainly applies to CEI and when you're dealing with physicians is, it's sort of what you alluded to, um, that the almost the automatic response when we're having difficulties getting physicians engaged, whether they're surgeons or non-surgeons, the default is always to, to do what I call uh, manage down. And that's to just assume um, you know, that there's a negative reason behind why you're not getting what you need from physicians. Oh, the surgeons are just obnoxious. Oh, the, the, the nephrologists don't care. Oh, the, you know, we hear it all the time in medicine and we hear it amongst medical professionals too. You know, that person doesn't know what they're doing and, and just constant, you know, what, what I call managing down, which is assuming the worst, being negative uh, and cultivating negativity amongst our teams. And I think the way to turn that around is to really learn to manage up very well. And I gave the example during my talk about surgeons specifically, and you know, if your CDI team is in a situation where they're getting frustrated because the surgeons aren't answering the queries, maybe you've talked to the chairman of surgery and they say, you know, I don't even understand why we're doing this anyway. It just seems like a waste of time. Um, and everybody gets frustrated. And, and when that happens, you can say to your team something like, yeah, 
I agree. Surgeons stink. We should probably just send, stop sending them queries. We're wasting our time and we're doing all this work for nothing. And then you've just effectively managed that department down. The other way to approach that is to say, look, these surgeons are super busy. I'm looking at their operative notes. Sometimes they're operating in the middle of the night. They have to see patients in the office. What are we as a team doing that, that may not be working for them? How can we uh, help them understand how important this is? How can we help them answer queries? Uh, maybe we need to re-examine our workflow and modify things a little bit for them. And, and in doing that, you've really turned the situation around and you've managed up and you've started to think creatively about how you can positively affect outcomes. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that is what the CDI team at Cooper does is we, I rarely hear my CDI um, professionals or my CDSs speak negatively about physicians. They've kind of learned that, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I know that on Tuesdays, he usually operates till 11 or, or 12 at night. So I'm not going to send query reminders to him. Then I'm going to wait till Friday because I know that's his administrative day. And they've, they've really gotten into that mindset of these are busy people. They want what's best for the organization, but they may need some help achieving that. And I think if you just sort of start thinking that way and retraining your mind to manage up rather than manage down, you'll start to see positive results because people, whether they're surgeons, nephrologists, advanced practice providers, they respond well to that mentality. They respond well when they see you managing up and trying to help them rather than assuming that they're lazy or uninterested or disengaged. Mm. I, I do think that goes a long way. Yeah. That's a great message and, and a great way to look at it. I, I love that flipping the perspective. Really important. Um, all right. You know, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, Nicole, maybe we can kind of close on this one, is uh, you you gave a great piece of advice. Um, you only gave many hit the conference, but um, you, you relate a parable of the two wolves. We were just chatting about this before the show started. That, that was, I had just heard that parable about six months before the conference um, on a, another podcast I was listening to, but it was, so it was very new to me. And, and that was striking when I heard you say it during the, during your keynote, because um, it just, it, you know, I, I, had, I recently just heard it and apparently it's an old parable that's been around for a long time. It's, it's avoided me all this time. I'm sure others in the audience, some of them may have heard it here are our listeners today, but some likely have not. I hadn't in my 48 years on the planet. Um, again, until recently. So can you talk a little bit about these two wolves and um, how you interpret this parable and, and any final applicability, again, to CDI here? Sure. So, you know, it's a very simple story about about a little boy that goes to his grandfather because he's upset that someone's, you know, done done something wrong by him. You know, and his grandfather very calmly says, um, you know, I know it's upsetting when people treat you badly and they don't show any remorse and you feel like you hate them and you can't stand it. But hate is really a wasted emotion and, and it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Um, and he tells his grandson that all of us, every one of us um, in this life struggles with these two opposing forces inside of ourselves. There's what we call the good wolf and that is um, you know, kindness and compassion and love and humility. And then there's also, also this bad wolf inside of us. It's hate and it's anger and it's greed um, and it's very difficult because both of these forces compete for your attention internally and, um, and they struggle. 
And so his grandson asks him, well, you know, which wolf wins? And his grandfather responds to him, the one you feed. And a lot of people tell that parable and they sort of end it there. And, and we try to encourage people to feed the good wolf and ignore that bad wolf. And I think I do love the story. I just think that it's misleading to, to end it that way. And, and what I teach my children and, um, you know, what I've kind of learned myself is that you actually need both of these wolves. Um, and the example that I gave at Actus was that, you know, when I'm dealing with my children or I'm talking to patients and their families, of course, I need that good wolf. That good wolf is courage and it, it has the ability to see what's in the best interest of everyone. And um, again, it's compassion, humility. But, you know, there are times when that bad wolf, that bad wolf has qualities that we need at times, fearlessness, tenacity, strategic thinking. And so when I'm in the trauma bay and people aren't moving fast enough and someone's life is at stake, you know, you'll see that that bad wolf or when someone threatens my children or my safety, that, that bad wolf is gonna come out. And um, I also think if you feed them both, they both win. And, and so it's okay to sort of nurture those, both sides of your personality in that sense and use them for good so that you're not always fighting that internal struggle. Um, because when you're fighting an internal struggle constantly, you're never at peace. And, and you're always worried and concerned. But when you learn to find peace and sort of embrace that internal struggle and feed those two wolves, you will really feel completely different as a human being. Um, and you, you'll acknowledge that there are times when you can get upset and grieve and be angry, but you have to sort of acknowledge it, process it, and move on and, um, and then feed the good wolf again and, and kind of go back and forth. And, that's what the parable means to me. Maybe people will find that useful. It, it certainly um, reassured me at many times in my life as I struggle to balance those different aspects of my personality at work and at home. Yeah. Well, great stuff, Nicole. Really appreciate that. Um, and I think that balance is critical. You know, the, the, the more I learn about leading a good life, it, it, it is striking a balance and mm -hmm. people don't always want to hear that they want to look for it find the easy an easy answer and i'm guilty of that as much as anyone um but it's it's learning when to be tough and learning when to be humble and and depending on the situation you're in so great stuff yeah. here really appreciate you sharing that again with us today it was like a second catharsis for you maybe for but <laughs> Definitely, I, yeah, i wanted our podcast listeners to hear because it was such a great keynote at the conference and not everyone can go to the live event. So thank you for sharing a piece of that with us again today. Of course. All right. Well, let's, let's take a look at our poll questions here. Um, the results, I should say, again, we asked folks, what has been your greatest challenge you've faced in the last 12 to 20 months? And, um, the winner by a narrow margin, 35% said the COVID-19 pandemic, but just behind that, 31% cited increased CDI work demands. Third place was personal issues, 21%. Maybe it's your family or health or other issues you've encountered. 9% uh, said staff turnover. And then 3% other. So I'm going to look through some of these other results and maybe mention a few, Nicole. What does anything here in this uh, poll surprise you? 
No, not at all. I think it goes back to what we sort of spoke about at the beginning. I think um, people are really being asked to do a lot. And I think in the beginning of this pandemic, we kept saying, well, it'll be over in a month. Oh, this will be over in three months, six months, 12 months. Now it's going on 20 months. And I think you have to ask yourself, even the most resilient human being, how much more can you take? Um, and, and how much further do you have to go? And it's like running a marathon without a break. So I am not surprised to see those results at all. And um, I understand, you know, how challenging this has been and, and the uncertainty of this maybe never really ending. Um, and how do we kind of learn to live with this new normal? So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, those results are not surprising. Yeah, just a couple of comments that came in. Someone, again, this is about the challenges other. Department was outsourced to a vendor. Everyone laid off except for two of us. That's pretty mm -hmm. tough. Um, working while having to teach children when the schools were closed due to COVID. Also monitoring my children's mental health regarding COVID and shutdowns. Um, getting laid off due to COVID issues, trying to find a replacement job. I found a replacement remote CDI position with the contracting agency. So that's some good news there. Um, outsourced. Someone said their former employer or hospital outsourced their CDI staff. So some, some, some um, definitely some challenges here we're hearing from folks, but a lot of good comments too about your, uh, your session with us here, Nicole. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to go ahead and close the poll out and we're going to hop over briefly here. I know we're getting close to time, but I did want to, Take a moment to do our in the news segment. So I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. Uh, let's see if I can get this showing here. Here we go. So in the news, again, regular segment featuring the latest industry updates and news relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, I wanted to briefly share in um, the story from Healthcare Innovation, which is called LeapFrog, adds several measures, including um, post-operative sepsis to its scorecard. So uh, really nice summary here by Healthcare Innovation of the latest LeapFrog quality measures and scores and, and hospital reports. I know not everyone uses LeapFrog, although it is pretty widely used. This, this piece here says it, um, it's the largest set of hospitals ever graded, the 2021 scoring with grades assigned to over 2,900 hospitals. These reflect performance on more than 30 evidence-based measures of patient safety, including for the first time, they say, post-operative sepsis, blood leakage, and kidney injury. Um, a few highlights here for those that are LeapFrog are interested to know how others are doing on this, uh, this important measure of quality. 32%, uh, so LeapFrog uses an A through F scale like we see in, in the classroom. 32% uh, of hospitals received an A, 26% received a B, 35%, the largest, um, received a C, 7% a D, and, and less than 1% received an F. Um, so there are geographic breakdowns. These from the article suggest that some areas of the country have significant patient safety issues. They mentioned Brooklyn, excuse me, Brooklyn, New York had eight hospitals with D grades and one with an F and situation not much better in Manhattan where nine hospitals got D grades. Um, again, they mentioned some new measures this year, specifically post-operative sepsis, which uh, 
can result in death for an estimated 160,000 people in the United States each year. In the leapfrog rating, the article goes on to state the number the number of score hospitals receive represents the number of surgical patients that experienced a sepsis infection for every thousand people who had surgery. So, and it says that the best hospital score again for um, uh, post-operative surgical sepsis was 2.31 and the worst was, was 9.73. So, shows some significant variation in patient safety performance across U.S. hospitals. And, and, and again, I think is, is an interesting look at where we are with tracking some of these measures and, and responding to them. So check out this article on healthcareinnovation.com. Nicole, just curious here what, what you think about this. Do you guys use LeapFrog? And, uh, and are you surprised by the sort of the, some of the wide variances we're seeing in, in sepsis infection rates? No, not at all. Uh, we do use LeapFrog. I think sepsis is a very difficult topic. Uh, you know, one of the uh, clear issues is that de all def definitions vary, um, and it's very hard for anybody to figure out the magic key here in terms of appropriate documentation um, because the requirements really vary. And this is a source of frustration at our own organization, and I'm sure nationwide, and, and it's reflected in this, so I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Interesting piece. All right. Well, thanks, Nicole. Briefly Thank here. You. Yeah, absolutely. Just a brief wrap up here. Um, Actus update. Want to let you guys know that we've got a couple recent papers, actually three recent papers. These are in our position papers section of the website. So if you go to actus.org, you will find these uh, under the resources tab. Uh, excuse me, the public, uh, gosh, where I should know what these are. Thought leadership tab. I guess we're calling these thought leadership. <laughs> and position papers, so they're right here. Couldn't be easier to find. We have three recent papers, two on a new series on risk-based CDI. A third is about to publish in that series, really happy with that. And then um, just yesterday, we released a paper we did in conjunction with AHIMA called Compliant Clinical Documentation Integrity Technology Standards. So we did a free webinar with AHIMA yesterday where we talked about some of the new technologies coming out and how to use them compliantly. So check them out. And this one in particular, if you click on it, we're, we're looking for comments. So if you read the paper, uh, we, we would love to hear your feedback on it. And there is an easy way to do it. This, you can click right here and it populates a field. You just type in your comment. It has your email address in case we need to get back to you and um, send it to us. We're going to use that for possible revision of the paper if if uh, we see certain comments. So that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus podcast talking CDI. For those joining us again live, we'll see you back here again in two weeks for our last show of 2021. We're, we're going on a Tuesday, a little bit off cadence, Tuesday, December 21st for uh, diversity and inclusion at UC Davis. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recording anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Check it out. And if you like today's show or you have other ideas about guests you want to hear about topics, I'm available and love to hear from you. You, you can reach me at bmurphy at actus.org. Nicole, thanks again. You were awesome today, as, as always. Really appreciate your time. And um, for everyone else, we'll see you back here again in a few weeks. Take care, everyone. <laughs>